everyone. Welcome to our fifth episode of the Educator Wellness Revolution podcast. Today's episode focuses on principal self-care and how tending to the wellness of our school leaders can create a bigger systems change for teachers, students, and families. We all know school principals are responsible for a lot, but how does this workload influence their self-care and the wellness of their staff? How can a spirit of true inclusion, both for students and teachers, create a school culture that promotes wellness rather than furthering burnout? These are some of the questions we explored with educator Tony Barton, a former DC principal, charter network executive, and the visionary of the Spelligent Inclusive School model. She shares her experience of running a DC schools and her bigger vision for creating a school based on connection for both students and staff. We also discussed why it's important for principals to be vulnerable with their staff members, innovative ways to reduce the workload for school principals, how to hire from mindset rather than expertise to create a unified teaching team, and so much more. We hope you enjoy the episode. Welcome, everybody. Welcome back to the Educator Wellness Revolution podcast with Empower Ed. I am Gracie Obohovich, and I am here with our co-host, Scott Goldstein, and also a very special guest, Tony Barton. Thank you so much for being here today, Tony. Thank you for having me. I'm looking forward to this conversation. Wonderful. Well, we're going to speak with Tony because Tony has held a lot of different roles within school systems, including teacher, including special ed teacher, including principal and school director. And we'll let you share a lot more of your story. But we think it's really important to look at the role of the principal or the role of the school director and their wellness. And so we're excited to have this conversation with you to really dig into how do we better support that role so that role can better support educator wellness. And I have to share that we have kind of an interesting meet cute story (laughs) that we we met. My first job when I moved back to DC back in 2008 was at a charter school and also an arts economic development program with adults with disabilities. And I I was a grants writer there and you were the principal there. (laughs) I know. We didn't see each other for like 10 years. And I was at a neighborhood event and my the the person who runs my son's former daycare called me over and you were with her. And we were both like, you look so familiar. <laughs> and it wasn't until we started to talk later about this educator wellness work that we re- recognized that we had this connection from way back. And I've been able to hear more about your vision, Tony. And so I'm, I'm very excited just on a personal level to have you here today. Thank you, Gracie. It is a very small world. And honestly, the, the model that I'm building now is probably birthed from the, the school that we met each other at many, many years back. So, Yeah, we're, we're excited to focus on the role of the principal today because the principal sits at that nexus of so many things, that really everything that happens in a school. And we focus so much on the role of the teacher. and We all understand the stresses and pressures that are on our teachers and staff every day as we have really high teacher turnover and a lot of focus in our work on how we can improve educator wellness and, and improve retention. But especially in these last couple of years, but always the principal sits at the nexus of everything and has so much put on their plate. And as we've come through the pandemic, that included being in a lot of roles that principals weren't trained for, including being epidemiologists and health directors and a million administrative tasks that had to do with making sure students were safe during the pandemic. Um, But it's really an example of the kinds of things that happen regularly, which is putting a whole lot of things on the the principal because there's not necessarily another job carved out 
for that. And so not only is the the stress of all of the meeting the school goals and making sure your educators are taken care of and all of the normal pressures that are involved in education on the principal, but it's also a job we pile a lot on top of. And so we're really interested to talk to you about all of your creative ideas about the role of the principal and the importance of the wellness of our school leaders as well. I'm excited to, to jump into the conversation, Scott. Well, let's start. I, we we want to hear more about you, Tony, and your journey as an educator, as a as a school leader, and just to give you a little twist on that is to to tell your story with a wellness lens. That like how your wellness has influenced the decisions you've made and how you've decided to keep evolving in your career. Yeah, so that's a very interesting lens to to add to my story. My story has like several different paths and detours. And so I think it's the combination of all of those experiences that have brought me to this moment that we're in now and the vision that I have for what school, the school of the future, the school of now need to look like. And so I'll I'll sort of start off with like prior to education, because I think that is a really critical part of why I'm able to envision things the way that I am. So I'm actually like a third time, third, three-time career trade changer. I started off in the corporate world at State Farm Insurance's headquarters in Bloomington, Illinois, where I worked as a business analyst. And that was not like fulfilling internal thing that I needed. And so I switched careers and I went to law school because I wanted to change the world and help everyone. That's why everyone goes to law school, right? And so in law school, I had the opportunity to work at a law firm for two years while I was there and realized that it's not actually that simple. What we go into that work, thinking what we're going to do is likely not what we end up doing. And so when I graduated from law school, I knew that I did not want to take the bar. I did not want to practice. And so I did a one more time career switcheroo and I entered an alternative teacher training program in DC. I became a special education teacher and that was definitely the best decision that I ever made. And so like over the past seven years, I have had the opportunity to step out of the school-based setting and work for a remote organization, traveling across the country, working with teachers and leaders, state-level leaders, district-level leaders, just sort of all across the board. And like what I have found to be true is that being able to leave the school setting and seeing like what happens in the legal world and what happens in the corporate world like really illustrates that how education is actually one of the very few professions where the individuals who work in the space don't get time for them themselves outside of even outside of work even during during the during the school day. And so like what I know to be true is that there are so many perks for people who work in the legal field, for people who work in the corporate field. Like there's a cafeteria at your job that sometimes that you don't even have to pay for. There's daycare, there's on-site healthcare, there's paid leave, free meals, like all of the things, like the list just goes on and on and on, right? But educators who are the people who are actually literally preparing the kids who are going to then go into those legal and corporate jobs, they like at the, at a very granular level have to go and buy their own lunch in the school cafeteria. And so like 
what has to be done really is just like a rethinking of like how we think about roles and how we think about like the design of school so that we can create the conditions for educators to have wellness. When I was a special education teacher, I taught a self-contained class of students with emotional needs who had mostly all been sent from their homeschool to this particular specialized program. And we're talking about kids with some really significant mental health needs. And the educators who are tasked with supporting those students, in order for me to give those kids what they need, like there needed to be something was being done to care for me as an educator, because that was probably, I mean, that was absolutely the hardest job that I ever had. And no one ever said like, how do you step outside of that day where you may have had a kid run out of the school or a kid have a breakdown in class? Like there is personal repair that you need to be able to do with yourself so that you can go back the next day and give kids what they need. Yeah, well, it's something we've been talking so much about is how inflexible the job of an educator is or everybody who works in a school. And you totally hit on that. So let's do a little bit of that reimagining, rethinking with you. Let's start with that role of the principal, which is we know all the things that can be on that role, but what's challenging about it? What's great about the role of a principal? What sits in a principal's you know, wheelhouse? And how can the system do a better job of supporting principals, but also kind of redesigning what shared leadership in a school looks like? So I think like at the most, in the most simplistic way that I could describe it, I would say the principal has the responsibility of having to be good at everything and having to be everything for everyone, kids and adults, right? And that is a impossible task to put on someone. And so if we know that that's true and that that's the case, how are we being very strategic around how we design the leadership structure of a school so that, number one, we're not asking principals to be all of that, but we can, we can actually, we're able to do that because we are assigning things to other, to other people in the building to support the school leader. And so, like, one of the things that I've thought about is I have a lot of friends who are executive directors of like a single site charter schools. And it's typically just them and not a principal. So it might be an executive director and a coach or an executive director and an assistant principal. But what that role requires you to be able to do is all of the external facing work with like the board members, fundraising authorizer, et cetera. And then you also have to coach the teachers and make sure that kids are learning, supporting parents and all of those pieces. And so I think that just the general structure of a school should incorporate a two-person leadership team in addition to your assistant principal and your instructional coach folks so that you can divvy up some of those responsibilities. Like the principal, I think at the core of the role has to be the person who is leading families, right? Because families have that expectation. Like if I have something that I need or that I want, I'm thinking that I'm going to go to the principal. And so how do I free up my principal to be able to prioritize focusing on families and focusing on teachers? That means all of the other stuff, like the external work and the external facing stuff, like someone else 
needs to be available to deal with and manage all of those things. So we need to restructure our leadership structure so you have an executive director-ish person and the principal so that the principal can prioritize families and teachers. Um, I think in an ideal situation, you know, school districts are are situated very differently depending upon, you know, the funding structures. And so if there's a world in which you're also able to have an instructional coach or an assistant principal to support some of that more like one-on-one teacher planning and that level of work, then that would be a great additional added benefit for, for principals. But I think the other thing that school leaders could really benefit from getting better at is like better leveraging the teachers that we have in our school. So I've had like the great opportunity to collaborate with a program out of ASU. They're doing a lot of rethinking about the the teacher workforce. And so in the school model that I'm designing, we are actually prioritizing building teacher teams and teacher cohorts so that we're putting more control over how we organize teacher time and student time into the hands of teachers. And so if we're allowing teachers to say, okay, there are this, there's this team of four teachers that is responsible for kindergarten and first grade. You all get to decide based upon what you know about the students, what you know about yourselves and your strengths as educators, how to organize the kids and how to organize the schedule. And obviously, we're going to support you in that. But if we give some of that responsibility to teachers, and that actually takes off some of the work um, from the from the leaders of the school and actually makes a more co-created space, which I think is part of what feels better for teachers and makes them more excited about coming to work. Well, it's so interesting that you brought up the ASU thing. We actually have a group of schools here in DC working with a local organization using that ASU model and all the thinking that they've been doing about how to make time more flexible for teachers, both in the scheduling, but also content specialization, roles between teachers, the whole framework that I know you're familiar with. So uh, we're looking at the same thing and trying to do some of that work here in DC. And And it's, you talked about both kind of recognizing the assets that are on staff, utilizing staff better. That's also something we've been doing a lot with our partner schools here, which is how do we make sure we asset map well, make sure everybody feels like an expert in the staff community. And then actually people are learning from each other. We're depending more on the intra school learning than the external partners for that learning. So all of that's really important and critical to the work we're trying to do here as well. I'm going to take a little bit deeper because I'm curious about this and and our experience of working with school principals is that and hierarchies in general. And what I hear from you is in some ways, like we need to flatten this hierarchy out a little bit or disperse it. So it doesn't all have to go up to the point where there's too much pressure at the top. And, And yet part of that is that being at the top of an organization is that you kind of get to be invulnerable sometimes. I think it's perceived from the staff that the principal gets to make the decisions. They don't have to share why all the time. But in my experience of working with school leaders, once they start to open up, they kind of start sharing more about the vulnerabilities that they do have of holding that. And sometimes within a school culture, even not feeling like they totally can belong because they can't open up about what they're going through. And I'm curious if you have any thoughts on that, because I I really have experienced you as such an open person. And and I see that the way that you're leading Spelligent moving forward. But how, what's the right balance of, of a principal being vulnerable and open with their staff? I think that a lot of principals feel like they can't do that. 
And there are a million reasons why that might be true, especially in D.C., Principles come into the space from so many different paths and journeys that honestly, depending upon like the path that you enter a particular school in, um, your ability to do that is going to vary based upon your experience. Especially DC has a lot of principles that go through new leaders for new schools. And that experience is very different than a, a principal who is trained through like a traditional pathway. And so I think those are things that present some barriers for a lot of principals feeling empowered to even be that way with their staff. I think for me, though, I've never had an experience where being vulnerable has turned out bad. And so I don't know any other way to be. And I actually think that teachers appreciate that more. They want a principal who they feel like they can relate to and that they can talk to, but that also someone who they believe in and believe that can do the job. They don't want someone who just is like this really smart, amazing person that sits up on high, but doesn't connect with us as the community. And so I think just I would say you have to be willing to like just take the chance and Start off with like some trusted teachers that you feel like that you could you feel like you could start off being vulnerable with, and then like over time build that across more educators in the school. But you just have to sometimes you just gotta like jump in, jump in the deep end because at the end of the day, I think teachers really appreciate someone who they see as human. It's the same thing with kids in the classroom, right? Like once kids in your class realize, oh, you actually like the same show that I like, or you're actually funny, or I see you at the grocery store and like, you're actually a real person and not just a teacher in the classroom. It sort of changes the dynamic between student and teacher. And I think the same thing is true for a teacher and principal. Yeah. You started off in special education as a special education teacher, right? So obviously inclusion is really important to you and what real inclusion looks like. So how, how do you make sure when you're doing work with staff on school wellness, but adult and educator wellness as well, that you build a model that's really inclusive of all staff? Yeah, so some really great mentors that I've had over the past 10 years or so have said to me, as a school leader, a lot of times we think that we have to hire for expertise only, but if you are trying to build an inclusive school model, you actually need to hire for mindset and beliefs and then teach people how to do the thing that you need for them to do. And so, you know, I have the luxury of being able to like build my model and hire from the ground up so I can do that. But a lot of school leaders who are already in a place with people they have to do a lot of mindset work with their staff. And so I think you have to be very clear around this is what we believe for kids. And everything that you do, every system that you create, every expectation that you set, the monitoring and support that you give has to keep coming back to that. Like, this is what we said we believe about kids. This is what we said kids deserve. And so does this behavior, or does this action, does this thing that we said or that we're doing match that?
know, Gracie mentioned that I'm building a model called Spelligent, which is a, a new tool model that I'm currently designing for DC. One of the things that I have been able to think about is that, so when I, when I talk about inclusion, I'm talking about how do we create classrooms that can serve all students across the spectrum of ability, right? So a first grade classroom that can effectively support a kiddo with autism while also effectively supporting a kiddo who might be gifted and talented. And so what that means is I'm expecting general educators and special educators to know and understand what it means to be a student who fits a particular identity marker and then how to support them in the classroom. Now, that is on its surface a higher expectation than a traditional teacher in a traditional classroom, right? So what that means is that I have to be even that much more intentional about the wellness systems that I put in place so that I can actually enable teachers to be able to do that thing. And so... What that means is, like, in a traditional school, a special education teacher is sometimes asked to support literacy and math across multiple grade levels. So, you have a special education teacher who's assigned to first through third grade. They're serving 10 kids in those those three different grade bands. That's actually not sustainable expectation, right? You're asking them to be a content expert across multiple contents, and you're asking them to understand standards across multiple grades. So I have to design the role of an educator very strategically so that I am reducing some of the responsibilities and tasks that teachers are being asked to do so that they can effectively serve kids across the, the spectrum of a billionaire classroom. So it's a balance of making sure that we're redesigning the role so that it is sustainable. And it's also making sure that teachers actually know how to do the thing. That, that's a, that is a huge part of it is that teachers are asked to do things that they don't have the skills to do. So back to what you were saying about the the project with uh, the educators in DC is like just rethinking how we are organizing our staff so that they actually feel like they can do their job. It actually doesn't have to be like all of this magical stuff that we like throw onto schools. If we actually just reorganize and rethink people in time, that could pay huge, huge dividends for the, the educator experience in school. Love it. I, it makes me think about one of our partner schools, the, the principal there said when he hires staff, he has two questions he asks. One is, do you come to work? And two is, do you love kids? And if those, if he gets a good feeling from those two answers, he's like, that's it. Like, because everything else can be taught and modeled if you have the right school culture and the right leadership that's helping to form it. So I I like that about it. It doesn't have to be super complicated. And I want to go just a little further into this line of thinking around learner variability and inclusion, because I think some people might see these as two separate things or a school wellness and then making sure that all students feel included. But I think you see this vision of it coming together and particularly around this concept called connect culture that is part of the Spelligent model. So could you share a little bit more about how really making sure that everybody is included builds this kind of school culture that is sustainable and can retain educators? Sure. I have sort of this like term that I use, connection-centered culture. And that means that everything that we do is sort of undergirded by a prioritization of like connections between adults and connections between students and adults. Because I firmly believe that 
children in school and educators that work in school, you spend the majority of your time at school or in a school building. And so that experience needs to be meaningful for you. It can't just be us going and sitting at a desk and learning, and that's all that we care about. We actually have to care about like the people side of the work. And so in order to make sure that our students feel like they want to be in school, they love going to school, they're excited about school, that means that they have to have people at school that they're connected to. And so there is intentional work that has to happen so that we're making sure that students are building peer-to-peer relationships, but that also every student has a relationship with at least one adult in the building. And so there, there is a level of intentionality that has to happen so that you're building those relationships in a systematic way. Adults, same thing. Like, you know, you hear the, you hear the, the thing all the time about everyone should have a best friend at work. You should have more than one best friend at work. Because if your best friend leaves, then are you going to leave your job? No. Like, I actually need to be in a an entire culture where I feel cared about and taken care of. And I feel like I'm a part of a community. And then I'm excited to go to work every day. And unfortunately, our educators are not feeling that way right now. And so, again, I think it's about... What are we actually asking people to come and do at work every single day? What are the things that we are putting in place to make every single day enjoyable for adults and for students? And how are we listening to the people in our building all the way down to the the kid level to design that experience around like what they actually want? and what they actually need versus what we think they want and what we think they need. And when I say we, I'm talking about like us at the leadership level. So Tony, you've touched on so many things that we're trying to change about the nature of school in some ways with the connection that people have with each other, the way we build trust, the way we give people voice. If you could wave a magic wand, what what is the thing that you would start with as you try to increase educator wellness and teacher retention? What's the big rock? What's the big one to start with? Okay, so Scott, I'm gonna I'm gonna give you multiple. <laughs> I'm gonna give you multiple. So I'm gonna like put it in two, two buckets, right? Big things and little things, right? Because I think sometimes we give educators advice that it feels like this big lofty thing that is really hard to actually do. So I think a couple of big things that don't cost money resources, I would say are flexible hours and hybrid roles. And so If you actually just sit down with your educators and look at the schedule, look at the time, look at the people, you can realize that it's actually very manageable to to create flexible hours for adults that work in a school and hybrid roles. Everyone in the corporate world has access to that. And in the legal world, so like educators need to have access to that as well. Not to get off on a tangent, but I just remember that when I was a teacher, I was a single mom and I had to bring my son to before care every day. And I was late for work every single day because before care didn't start until I was supposed to be at work. And so how could we create the conditions so that doesn't that type of experience doesn't have to be true for teachers? So those are those are things that I would call big things. But there are little things that impact the day-to-day experience of a teacher. And so my son is a first-year teacher, and I remember visiting his classroom. And the number of text messages that he would get during the day while he has kids in front of him and the number of like office phone calls to the classroom yeah. is 
unreasonably high. And so how can leaders like stop doing those things? Because those are like micro moments that take away from an individual's day-to-day experience. So I think there are little things and big things that we can do that can make educators feel better about their day, their week, their month. I'll stop there because I know that we're going to run out of time soon, but I think if we think of there are big things and little things that we could do and talk to the teachers, see what they want. It's not just like a free meal on teacher appreciation day or teacher appreciation week. Like there are daily and weekly things that we can do to make the work more manageable for them. Love that. And that's our motto. Listen to teachers. And I mean, you talked about that, the building trust that, you know, fundamentally schools are about human connection and relationships, right? And if we don't get that right, it's hard for anything else to go right in schools. The relationships between students and their educators and their teachers, the relationships between teachers and parents and families, between the school leaders and the teachers and staff. So all of those things we have to get right. And and it definitely starts with this initiative that I think we all care about, which is how do we make the job more sustainable for our teachers, but also for our school leaders. Um, so that we can sustain the success we make in schools, not just make make a lot of strides and then see it evaporate as people leave, but really be able to sustain success. I couldn't have said it better, Scott. And you know, and my from listening to teachers from surveying our partner schools is like people people don't want outlandish things. They want flexible scheduling. They want to have work life balance. They want restorative training so they can do restorative justice practice. Like they want really great things for themselves. And I, I think school leaders want those things on some level too. But I I think what what I hear from you is that you got to like slow down. And you have to look and you have to like be able to have some vision and some imagination too about how to make it work. And I think we're in a moment like that where people are having to really draw on that imagination. So I I see you as a visionary, Tony, and really appreciate you helping us and lending your vision to us as well. And to for your vision of Spellagem, I wish you so much luck with everything. Thank you, you Gracie. And thank you, Scott, for having me. I can talk about this all day, every day. So (laughs) could you tell people how to get in touch with you? In case they do want to keep the conversation going? Um, sure, yeah. People can email me at tony at org, or they can go to our website, Spelligent.org. And Spelligent, people are like, how do you spell that? So it's a play on the word intelligent. Just add spell to the front of it. So S-P-E-L-L-I-G-E-N-T. Great. Great. And for those of you who are listening right now, just like keep thinking about this. Keep, you know, talk if you're a principal, like I would say, like try that vulnerability thing out a little bit. I think it's really powerful what Tony was sharing about. And just for all of us, the more we keep discussing these ideas, the more we can actually make them happen. So let's keep on. Thanks, everybody. Let's keep our fingers crossed for that new bill for teacher pay starting at $60,000 to get passed because that will help teachers as well. (laughs) Thanks, Tony. Thanks, everybody. Hi there. Thank you so much for listening to our show. If you enjoyed it, please pass it along to another educator wellness advocate and rate us five stars so others can discover our podcast. We also hope you stay in touch. We'd love to hear your questions, ideas, and recommendations for future podcast guests and themes. Just email us at wellness at we are empower ed that just looks like we are empowered.org you can also follow us on facebook instagram and twitter and tiktok with the same handle as empower ed dc or visit us at we are empowered.org thanks again we are all part of this educator wellness revolution and we really appreciate your time and energy mm-hmm.